Yes, sir. Sportsnet today rolls into hour number two. It's GVP and Azam coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Wet basement, we have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Hour one will be up on the podcast feed in just a few moments. You can find that Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you may get full episodes of Sportsnet today or anything else we have across our network but right now we go down the atlas beats and sports bar guest hotline to talk to you from in goal magazine he also covers the canucks for nhl.com we say hello to kevin woodley kevin thanks for uh, taking the time today yeah just a canucks practice right now amidst uh, a series of moves here so uh, i apologize there'll be some pucks hit glass here in a second no no worries we're all excited to get this season underway and i want to start there uh how how is the vibe around the Canucks as we uh, come out of training camp here? Obviously, there was some dysfunction last season, but uh, they're having a full season under Rick Talker right now. They have their captain named. Just what's the general energy around this Canucks team right now? Um, I, w- I would, I mean, obviously, it's upbeat around the team itself directly. But I would cast the mood from those of who observe uh, and maybe from the fan base is a little more apprehensive. Okay. Uh, we've seen this movie before strong finish um and a lot of sort of i guess positive thoughts based on a strong finish and then the same group comes out and lays an egg at the start of the next season now i think they've made some significant improvements mostly defensively under rick talkett and at least through the preseason as much stock as you can put into that uh, it looks like those are those those have sort of taken hold whereas you know, the prior season under Bruce Boudreaux, um, that you know that late season winning streak was fueled largely by incredible goaltending and offense, and there just was no uh, there was no defensive footprint for this team. They were a gong show defensively. They were yeah. even worse out of the gate last season. So there's there's where the positive energy comes from in terms of how they're going to play. Uh, and hopefully they'll improve a penalty kill that was threatening to be one of the worst since uh, penalty kills have ever been tracked, like historically bad each of the last two seasons before late surges. So um, that that's a big part of the equation for them, but there's still a ton of question marks, right? Like they went out yeah. and got Ian Cole and Carson Soucy. Uh, the idea being one of them would play on their offside, perhaps with Quinn Hughes and yet for, uh, majority of camp, it's been rookie Cole McWard that got the assignment. So there are a lot of question marks. The defensive structure is better, but just how much better is the defense itself? We'll see. Yeah, I feel like another big part of the equation around this Vancouver Canucks team that's really going to dictate their season is Thatcher Demko. And now that he's coming back fully healthy, what can we expect from him this season? Is it too high of an expectation to say that he can be a part of that elite goaltending discussion once again? No, I mean, it's all about whether he gets through a season, right? He's had two full years as the number one, and uh, neither one did he make it through unscathed. So I do think uh, that a large part of last season's injury was a carryover from the knee surgery that was required at the end of the season prior. I don't know how many people realize the significance of that injury, that surgery, and just how much it set him back going into last season. Now, I know he's made some changes in terms of how he trains, how he moves on the ice. Uh, he started working with a private consultant during that three-month period. He was injured last year, Adam Francilli out of Kelowna, who's worked with names like Connor Hellebuck, Stuart Skinner, Devin Dubnik, James Reimer. He's got like more than a dozen NHL clients. And so I know Demko sort of changed some of the triggers for his movement patterns and some of the way he trains and strengthens himself. And that really is the biggest question mark. There's no question about his ability. It's can he make it through a season Mm -hmm. healthy and I think he's better equipped to do that this year I think if Tockett's changes defensively do stick that you've you know you you give him a chance to not end up in extended positions as often as he has in the past two years or he's not having to worry about backdoor tap-ins all the time across team passes now I kid you not no sooner do I say that he's going to make it through the season unscathed and he's hopping around on one leg here and getting a little bit of attention after getting extended in practice. So we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Uh, The goalie coach has gone over to talk to him. Looks like he's going to stay in, but uh, that, that is the one thing that would derail all of this in a hurry is another Thatcher Demko injury. And 
until you've done it, you haven't done it. And he hasn't made it through a year yet as number one unscathed. And let's see if he can this year. Yeah, obviously hoping for the best for Demko and just trying to make sure he gets through a full season. But if if the Canucks do have to turn to Casey to Smith, you know, he had a, not a bad season for him last year in Pittsburgh, getting into 38 games, had a 905 save percentage. Is this a guy that the Canucks are comfortable relying on if things turn for the worse and they got to rely on him full stop? Well, like, listen, like at the end of the day, again, if they can maintain the the sort of attention to detail defensively that we've seen here in the preseason that we saw last year, like the underlying numbers, you know, and I look at a site, I have access to clear site analytics and, you know, some of the key underlying numbers to me are five on five high danger chances. Again, they went from bottom three in the league to top five under talking. So if, if you can maintain that, and that's a big ask, because let's be honest, after talking took over, they were a team that a lot of opponents sort of looked past. You didn't get their, you know, the, the Canucks didn't get the opponent's best most nights yeah. uh, down the stretch. But if they could do that, then you're just not you – know, like for two years, they needed – actually three years, back to when Markstrom was here. Like you needed Vesna-level goaltending to have a chance because your defending was so terrible. And if they're not going to be that team anymore, then you have a chance for a Casey to Smith to, to play more games and just give you steady goaltending, and that's going to be good enough. You're not – you don't need your goalies to stop bullets in your teeth any, in their teeth anymore like they have for the past number of seasons. So um, the answer on Casey DeSmith would have been no last year. But I think, again, the environment matters, and it looks to be an improved one here for the goaltenders. We're in conversation with Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine. He also covers the Canucks for NHL.com. He's joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. I'm GVP, and he's his own. Hey, Kevin, uh, just a few things for you. Obviously, we know what it is for... Uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, but for the Calgary Flames, Jacob Markstrom is definitely going to be heavy relied upon uh, for this team to have a better season, uh, more closer to that Vesna uh, caliber season he had two seasons ago. What's the ceiling cap for him? Does he return back to that uh, Vesna caliber, or does he go back to his career average? You know what? He, I mean, the level he played at before he left here was it was a pretty high level, right? And so counting on that year in on year out is. Uh, no, that's, that's a tough ask, especially as you get older. But I have a sense, you know, in a little bit of a post-game, post-game conversation with him the other night and talking to Jason LaBarber a little bit, like, I have a sense he's in a really good space right now. Um, and so I think you'll see better from him. Again, does that get him back into the levels that earned him that contract? Uh, that's a pretty high, that's a pretty big ask. But I think you'll see better from him um, you know, the one thing that I think you're hoping for if you're a Flames fan, and I've seen this with other teams, is just because you lose the hard-ass defensive coach doesn't mean you lose that knowledge of what it takes to play that way. And so, you know, I know and talk to a number of people around the league, like if, if they made that coaching move with a month and a half left in the season last year, there were a lot of teams that figured they get in and they're a tough out in the playoffs. Because, again, you don't lose that – it's in your DNA, that, that defensive identity. And so much of that matters. I mean, the reason I'm talking so much about defending is because that's such a big part of the equation for goaltenders, being able to read off what's in front of you. Uh, I'm more as predictable as it can be in today's dynamic game. And so um, I, I would look for better from Markstrom, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's going to be a top three goalie in the league and, and a Vezina Trophy finalist at this point. I think a lot of things for any goaltender have to sort of fall into place for that to happen, but I wouldn't at all be surprised to see a bounce back. Jacob Markstrom likes to play a lot of games, uh, you know, 60, between that 40 to 60 game mark. Uh, what's ideal for him this season, especially with uh, the Flames wanting to give Dustin Wolf some NHL time as well as Dan Ladar? Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how that, that pans out. I mean, I think Dustin Wolf is ready for the National Hockey League. Uh, obviously, I fully understand the reason they went the way they did only one guy can clear and, and you don't have to risk losing him and you don't want to lose Vladar for nothing. But, um, I, so I'm, I am curious to see how they figure that out and get him some of those starts this year. Uh, so, I mean, that, that kind of said, I'm not sure how they do it. Right. Like, I don't know what the, what the market would be for, for Vladar. And, and the other problem is you, you need three, you need four a lot of years just to get through a season. Right. So, um, do they 
you don't want to lose, like if you lost Ladar, all of a sudden it gets really thin behind Dustin Wolf, right? So I fully understand all that. In terms of ideal starts for Jacob Markstrom, like I think this is just around the league. Like the number's gone down. And I would say as low as 55. Uh, you look at a guy like Jake Ottinger last year. Was he at his best in the playoffs? No. How much do you tie that into the number of games, the number of uh, minutes he played in a hot barn in Dallas? I, I, I don't know that he would want to admit it, but his, you know, I, I think there's a correlation there. Um, we saw the guys who played the most minutes two seasons ago, you know, two of the highest guys in the league, Demko and Saros. Neither one of them make it to the finish line at the end of the season. So uh, your ideal world, I think, is has come down. I think it is closer to 50-55 games. The question is, do you have enough faith in your backup and the structure in front of them to sit your goal, your starting goaltender that many nights? We're in conversation with Kevin Woodley from Ingo Magazine and also covers the Canucks for NHL.com. Uh, Kevin, uh, Tampa Bay uh, is going to be without Andre Vasilevsky for uh, at least two months. Uh, how much can they rely on their goaltending depth without Vasilevsky, and can they have a good start so that when he is back, they can be set up for success? Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I know that the goalie coach there, who's clearly had a lot of success in France, Jean, believes in Jonas Johansson. That was his call to go get him as a backup. Now, asking him to be the starter on a team that has, you know, playoff and cup aspirations, that's that's a big step for a guy who's never even, you know, really been able to stick in the league full-time. So, I'm curious, and I don't have the answer, but I'm curious to see what they do as, as goalies start to hit the waiver hot wire here this week. Are they interested in a Martin Jones? There's a part of me that likes the idea of if they have this much faith in these guys, I like the idea of sticking with them. And you know, I know Johansson had a good start to the preseason, maybe not the, the, the game he wanted the other night, but his first couple of games I think were both shutouts. Not a lot behind him, uh, at least from a experience and name recognition value, but Matt Tompkins is a guy who people might remember from the Canadian Olympic team. Happened to work in Kelowna this summer with a couple of people who were working with him, and he made huge strides and massive changes to his game. And so I kind of actually like to see a Matt Tompkins get an opportunity. But again, because of where they are as a team and what their aspirations are, that may be too big a risk. And so you've at least got to go round out your depth chart by adding another goaltender um, for the start of the season alongside Johansson. But I don't have the answers there. I'm as curious as everyone else to see which way they go. And sort of waiting in the wings is a goalie who I sort of can't believe is still unsigned in Yaroslav Halak. Um, posted positive adjusted save percentage numbers even on bad teams here in Vancouver. And again in New York after a slow start at 1.17 straight games for the New York Rangers last year. Finished in the top 15 in adjusted save percentage. Like Yaros a guy that just gets it done. And I realize it's complicated in Tampa Bay by cap situations, but I also know that like the season starts Wednesday, he doesn't have a job, and I know how badly he wants to get the 300 wins. He's five short right now on his career. That's a milestone that means a lot to Yarrow Halak. So I don't know that he'd be looking to break the bank to get an opportunity with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And if he can come in and get comfortable, because he's really read-reliant, and that takes a little time to get comfortable with the defense in front of you. And obviously no preseason and no training camp complicates that a little bit. Um, but if he could get comfortable quickly behind that team, like he could have his five wins before Andre Vasilevsky gets back. So I'm like everyone else, kind of curious to see which way they go. And there is a little part of me that says, hey, have the courage of your convictions. If you believed in these guys before Vasilevsky went down, believe in them now. So we'll see which way they roll. Do you think uh, potentially uh, if things don't go well for uh, Giannis Johansson that uh, the Flames could be a trading partner for potentially Dan Vladar coming over to the Tampa Bay Lightning? Don't think the money works, right? Like Vladar's what, 2-2? Two, two? Yeah. Because uh, the, the problem is obviously Andre comes back at some point. And I know the 10 weeks, I think, is the surgery uh, outline. Uh, I've had the exact same surgery as a goaltender, and it was just a couple of months off. So the idea that Vassy, as, as much a, as a, a freak as he is physically, um, depending on how much of that disc they have to cut on the discectomy, uh, I, would, I would not be shocked at all if he is way ahead of that 10-week window. So, um, and that's why you know, I mentioned Yarrow and, and, and the salary cap number. It's got to be a number that works after, after Andre Vasilevsky comes back as well. And um, you've got to maybe have a goaltender who's willing to go to the minors if they do believe in Jonas Johansson, right? Like you have to plan for now and plan for later. The problem is if you don't do it right now, 
later may not matter. So it's a tough spot for them to be in. Um, but I don't see Vladar being a fit there just because of the finances involved. Kevin, I just wanted to get your thoughts on some of the other tandems from the Canadian teams. Uh, the Flames here, it feels like, you know, we're, we're solid in that. We got Marshall, Vladar, Wolf. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on the Winnipeg Jets because it feels like I, I love the tandem that they have with Halibut and Brossois. But do you feel like they're going to have to rely on those guys? Are they, is that going to be a team that needs Vesna candidate type goaltending to squeak into the playoffs here? Uh, I mean, I guess so. But again, when we talk about environments, you know, from a name brand standpoint, that defense may not jump off the page, but they were always a team, um, even under Paul Maurice, that did a really good job of limiting lateral plays, played to Connor Hellebeck's strengths, everything in a straight line. And I think they've continued that under Rick Bonus. So, you know, what's the shelf life of Bonus demanding that type of defensive detail? How long can he maintain their attention on those things? Uh, it's usually a limited window, and obviously we saw some tension between him and the group last year. But if he can maintain that, you will see really good numbers from the goaltenders. Um, and, and a guy like Hellebuck would probably end up in, in the Vesna conversation again. But I do think sometimes that environment, just because they're not sort of seen as a great team overall and they do lean on their goaltenders, like I don't know that the shot quality they give up is as bad as the general public makes it out to be sometimes like, yes, they give up a lot of shots and we all talk about the goaltending, but when you break it down from a quality perspective, it's not to the same degree that other teams are surrounding. And like I said, more to the point, and this is a good thing. They play to Connor's strengths, like everything yeah. in straight lines, few laterals, like he's the best goalie in the world. If you attack him in straight lines, if you move him East West, and we saw Vegas do this in the playoffs last year, those numbers fall off a cliff significantly. And the Jets do a really good job of playing to his strengths defensively. It's not a criticism of either one. It's not a criticism of Hellebuck. Like I said, best in the world in straight lines. What he does, even on odd man rushes, if you take away that path, is at a level that few others are able to do. And we've actually sat down at Ingle and done video with him and, and walked us through his reads on those. And it's incredible how far ahead of the play he is mentally and anticipating and reading what's going to happen. You think he's got a magic eight ball or like a – you know, like something there to tell him. It gets unreal how quickly and early he picks up play recognition. That's his strength. Um, and the Jets do a really good job of making sure he gets to play to those strengths. It's a nice fit. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs tandem. Is Ilya Samsonov and, and Joey Wall a tandem that can get this Toronto team over the hump? I, I, I liked what I've seen from Wall in the preseason and his short time in the playoffs. What can you tell me about Toronto and, and, and their tandem? Well, I think it's going to be one of those ones where we see a lot of both, right? So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not convinced that, that Samsonov is a peer number one, but in a tandem mix where, where Wall still has the opportunity to grow into a, a, you know, a 1A role without the pressure of having to be the guy this early in his career, like it's a really nice mix. Does it, you know, does it mean I would rank either one at this point really high around the league? And probably not. Um, I, I still think Joseph Wolf can get there, but it's more of an experience thing at this point. I like them as a tandem, though. I think it's a great mix. And if they can get Martin Jones through waivers, they've got a security blanket in the minors as well. Uh, obviously, we know that there's a lot of goaltenders potentially going to be moved here. Uh, this season, but uh, uh, honestly, Anaheim Ducks and John Gibson don't seem to be a future that's going to be very long. Where do you think John Gibson moves on to? Because he really hasn't had the numbers that uh, he would have liked or the Ducks would have liked. Yeah, you know, and even even some of the analytics uh, don't paint as pretty a picture as they used to. Um, I think he graded out by clear set analytics right around sort of expected. So he played at sort of right where you would expect for this, the shot quality he was facing last year. But man, like that environment, I, I, like I, don't, I don't think the analytics tell the full story because it's cumulative. When you play behind a bad defense for as long as he has, it becomes cumulative. Do I trust the guy not to take away that scene? Can I trust my defenseman to do his job when he didn't five of the last six times? Like, that becomes a tough read to stick with and trust. And I think there's a lot of that in John Gibson's game. I, I, I have no idea where this ends up 
because the reality is that's a big ticket as well and how many teams can bring in 6.4 million or 6.5 million on the cap and goal and and be able to afford that but I'd kind of like to see it happen like I would like to see him get an opportunity behind a decent team a decent defensive team like I I think we would. I think, I think a lot of the narrative and a lot of the conversation and noise around John John Gibson, and I could be wrong, but I think a lot of it would be changed in a hurry if he got that opportunity. There's still elements of his game that are a little loose technically, um, but I know that's on purpose. Like in Anaheim, they've been very careful not to sort of. There's things he does that nobody else can, and they don't want to take that away by making him too much of a technician. And I think over time, he stayed healthier. He's found a balance between those two things. It's just, is he ever going to get a chance to play behind a team that actually has a chance to do anything and, and, and actually defends at an NHL level in front of him. And it's been so long since I can answer that with a yes, that, that I'm, I'm just not quite willing to, you know, be out on Gibson the way others are. Sticking in the Pacific division, uh, the LA Kings obviously did not resign, um, uh, Corpusalo there, and they bring in Cam Talbot, David Riddick, and they kept Phoenix Copley. Uh, do you think that goaltending uh, trio can help steady a, a little bit enough so that the team can be the high-powered offense and great defense that they're built in front of them? Well, they're one of the best defensive environments in the National Hockey League, and I think uh, it was a perfect fit for Corpusalo going in there last year. Did the guys that they brought in, like, does Cam Talbot at this age have the same sort of athletic upside as Corpusalo? Maybe not, but I'm not sure you need it. If they continue to defend the way they have for the past couple of seasons, like again, everything in front of you, predictable environment, like there's a lot to like about that. And so I'm not so sure that uh, I'm like, again, maybe the upside isn't quite there like it was with Corpusalo, but I have no problems with their goaltending because I honestly don't think they're going to lean on them that heavily. And then finally, uh, on the Vegas Golden Knights, Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson, uh, can they regroup uh, what they built off in the playoffs? Obviously, Logan Thompson coming back from that injury. Uh, is he a guy that can stay healthy this year? And can Aiden Hill pr- build off what he did in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we'll have to see. Yeah, the biggest thing on Logan is staying healthy and being in shape. I know that's something that, that Vegas has sort of, um, pushed him on and, and at times not been happy with in terms of his conditioning and his approach to that side of the game. So uh, I don't know how his off season was. I haven't talked to anyone down there or seen him in person, but I think they'd like to see a little more attention on that side because clearly if he's healthy, um, he's got a ton of talent. He plays a pretty raw game. We're talking about John Gibson. Like, like Logan Thompson is not a technician. Like There's a lot of feel and timing and athleticism involved in how he plays the game. And when you play that way and you extend yourself uh, in the ways that he does, you've got to make sure you take care of your body or you're going to pull your, you, you essentially pull himself apart in a lot of situations. And that's, you know, that's where you run into injuries. So um, that's going to be a big part of that answer. And we'll have to wait and see. And as far as Aiden Hill, like, you know, the upside's always been there. The level he played at in the playoffs, however, like as much as they are a great defensive team and they've always been good in front of their goaltenders, the level he played at in the playoffs was like, you do that over the course of an 82-game season, you're winning a Vesna Trophy. Like, his adjusted numbers were off the charts. He was full value for that cup. So the question becomes, given where he's been at previously, just slightly above expected, is that a level you think he can get to over the course of a regular season? I'm not sure they need him to play at that level to be a playoff team again. Um, and that's probably a good thing, because expecting it, after just doing it for one playoff series, I think that would be a little bit foolish. Um, doesn't mean he's not a good goaltender. Doesn't mean he can't get them back into the playoffs just playing the way he has for you know for other organizations up till that point. But expecting the level to be where it was throughout the playoffs, that might be a bit of a big ask. And and again, it's not a criticism to say that uh, I I wouldn't be counting on it. Kevin, last one for me here. I know it's way too early, and but this is what people like to do during this time of year, make predictions and whatnot. Do you have one person in mind who could be the favorite for the Vesna Trophy this year? Well, I mean, so many things can happen. Um, right. You know, again, Thatcher Demko stays healthy and this team defends well here. I could see him ending up on that list. Uh, a guy who wasn't even a finalist last year, and frankly, it was absurd. You know, like if this was the the uh, Hockey Writers Association, we'd be looking at the ballots and asking how the hell they could end up with this result. 
UC Saros should have been second in Vesna voting last year. Mm-hmm. Like, hands down, no questions asked. And it's been a number of years now where he has played at that level. So, you know, I know Nashville isn't maybe the team uh, that they were in the past or a team that has high expectations. But anytime you have UC Saros in net, you have a chance. And uh, I think that's the kind of recipe you like to see. As, even as confusing as it was that he wasn't a finalist this year, um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him be more than a finalist at the end of this upcoming season. We're talking to Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine. He also covers the Vancouver Canucks for NHL.com. Kevin, thanks for the time today. Enjoy the season. Best of luck and uh, happy Thanksgiving, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks a lot. There you go. There's uh, Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine, covers the Canucks. He joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Azam, I'll throw it to you right now, but do you do you have one guy on your mind as a Vesna Vesna? you know, prediction. I know it's super early, but it is super early and there's a whole bunch of things to do. But if I'm throwing one name, I'm going, uh, Ilyas Roken. I Ooh, think he okay. uh, carried a lot of the New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. And if he can still play at the high level that he can, yeah, he basically took the Islanders, like, you know, just dragged them to the playoffs. Pretty but, much. I mean, they, they, are, they are a super good defensive team, but nothing offensively jumps off the page for them uh, beyond like Matt Barzell. But, yeah. Yeah. But even then, yeah, I think, I think Elias Sorokin, if anything, uh, would be the guy who I think is the front runner for the Vesna trophy. And you can always chime in uh, 960, 960 on the text line on your prediction of who you think the Vesna Trophy winner will be at the end of the season. But uh, GVP, who do you think? I'm high on the Dallas Stars this year. I think they're going to have an excellent season. Uh, I did a short little prediction segment with Dumas the other week, but uh, I I think the Dallas Stars are going to actually, I think they're in the hunt for the President's Trophy as well. And I I think Jake Ottinger arguably is the best goaltender in the Western Conference. Um, I I would pick him as a super early prediction. Again, it it is way too early to do these things. You have to wait and see, uh, you know, what type of... What type of, how the teams are going to look and injuries and all that. But I, I think Ottinger is an excellent goaltender. And I think he could be a, an easy candidate for that. Indeed. Great choice there on that one. But uh, a lot of names, mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of bounce back players, goaltenders. Uh, what's going to happen in Boston? Yeah. Uh, with that, with Allmark and Swayman, are there going to be a 1A, 1B? Or is someone going to take that crease? Uh, and then obviously in Tampa Bay, like, will Jonas Johansson prove to be the goaltender that they went out and got for. Yeah. Lots of questions here early in the season, but lots of questions. We have to await for the answers as the NHL season kicks off in just a few days. We're going to take a quick break and around the corner. The Mac is back. Julian McKenzie will join the program. That's next. The Sportsnet today continues right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet today. I'm Osmali Nanji, and across me is Garrett Vanderplug, and we've got Cam Hughes on the ones and twos. And without further and two, without further ado, let's head down the Alice Pizza Sports Bar guest hotline and bring in J Mac Julian McKenzie. He's the Flames writer for the Athletic. Uh, Julian, how's it going? Things are going good, guys. Good to hear from you, AZ, Killer Cam, GVP. Hope you guys are having a good Sunday. Huh. Damn, I love the nicknames we got going on here. Oh, 100%. It's a, it's a new one. I actually have not heard that one before. AZ fits you. I like that. Yeah. I might start calling you that. Oh. Might be the full initial show. GVP oh. AZ. That's got a nice ring to it. Oh, can't complain. GVP AZ is a really good show idea. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I, I think uh, we got to. You might have found something, Julian. Yeah. Well, we uh, we're gonna have to give you credit for that all the time. Oh, 100%. And now we got to just pitch that to our uh, Artie boy there. Yes, yes, yes. Got to do that. But uh, let's sit down right down to business. But uh, Julian, uh, new rink. Uh, officially everything is signed and sealed and plans are hopeful to start, uh, 2024. Uh, just thoughts on getting that, uh, initial deal done. Well, I, I like the fact that, uh, a, a deal seemingly, it, it was not seemingly, it got done. It got signed and all that. And I have to admit as someone who is still relatively new to the market and was not around for some of the previous arena deals, the very first thing I thought of after the press conference ended was how much farther along is this compared to some of the other uh instances where a deal might have happened there were other projects that were put up and it never got to the finish line my understanding was the last time there was a deal there was something but then it got changed because of some other costs that were accounted for and then csec said nah we're not doing this so the fact that they're at this point i guess it's a good sign in terms of wanting the arena done 
I would think the one thing I have a, a question about, and, and the Calgary Herald deserves some credit because they put this up over the weekend. Uh, you're right. Uh, 2024 is when they expect to start putting shovels into the ground. When is the completion date? Uh, it seemed as if uh, when they said 2026 or 2027, uh, we were taking that uh, from 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 government officials as as if that was when the projects would be done. But the Herald is now saying that maybe that date might be a bit too ambitious. So I, I still have questions about when we'll see shovels in the ground, when it'll actually be completed. This is usually for these arenas. It might take like two, three years, maybe four years to get it done. But on the surface, at least, the fact that we're at this point where we can say that a rink is there and and already the NHL had said earlier this year that because of this, the, the, the Flames are going to be back in the rotation for all-star games, NHL draft hosting as well. It's a good sign. It's a good thing for for the team. And and look, I, the Saddle Dome has a lot of charm. It's got a lot of history. I believe the 15th will mark 40 years since it's been opened officially. But I I, I think it's really time for a new rink, guys. I, I, I think just with the way that it's kind of designed and the way that it hasn't really been upheld after all these years, it really is due for a change. You know it's due for a change. When you can look at highlights from like 20 years ago when they're in the final, the Flames, and look at the dome and be like, you know what, this this arena has not changed that much, you know. Not so I, I really no. think they did. They, <laughs> no, no, I really <laughs> think they were due for an update. The question is, is if if uh, the timeline will stay true from what was said earlier this week. Uh, we'll go right into the rosters as well. No flames on waivers today, so Dryden Hunt uh, and Dennis Gilbert will be on the opening day lineup. Uh, Dryden Hunt has a really impressed. Uh, a preseason, and I think he's really earned that spot there on that fourth line. Yeah, I think Dryden showed some energy. Uh, they've given him opportunities on the PK as well. Uh, really cool to see him get that chance. The one thing I'm really intrigued about is is how Cole Schwint is fitting in all of this. It looks like he could start as the fourth center. And I thought he was pedestrian, really. I don't necessarily think he's jumped out. But I think because of that hole at center, and look, Dryden Hunt, as good as he's been, I don't think he's that ideal guy at center. Cole Schwint instead ends up being that guy there. And some people are going to say, well, hey, maybe Connor Zary should be playing in that spot too. I don't know if I disagree with those people. Uh, well, I think maybe they like Schwint's size a little bit more. Maybe they hope that his skill set could translate a little bit better from what Zary. Maybe that's what the for, that's what the coaching staff is thinking. But just with the talent that Zary's shown in the HL, I would have liked it if, if he would have gotten a little bit of a longer look. But I'll say this: I know kind of, I know kind of going a bit of a roundabout way to talk about some of the other guys who were in consideration for that fourth line. But while there may have been question marks around Zary and Schwint, there weren't as many when it came to to Dryden Hunt, and I think he's earned a place at least to start the season on that fourth line. How much do you think uh, it benefits this new Flames management that they followed through on their word, saying that they're going to open spots for the young players uh, to be put in positions to succeed and actually have a chance to compete? For a spot on the opening day lineup, and that's what they've done. Uh, no signing any PTOs this year and having a shot for these guys. In one way, it, it, it's good because they did say that they wanted young players there. And it, it's kind of funny because I feel like there have been people who have been wondering aloud about Matthew Coronado's place in the lineup. And people were actively asking, like, is he actually going to make this team? Is this team going to follow through? Do, do people realize that like Matthew was good? He needed like a horrible camp to not make the team. The team is short on right wingers and right shots. Like they needed him to make the team and to and to be good. So the fact that he's played as well as he has, like I, I think a lot of fans could should be happy about it and management should be happy. But I have a lot. Like I considered him and and Jacob Pelty as locks for the roster. Unfortunately for Jacob, he gets injured and he'll be out for a while. So that does open up a spot for someone else. But. I don't know. I felt like the Flames management was going to, and they were going to do right by what they said earlier this year. There were going to be some young guys who were going to get spots. It's just that a guy like Dryden Hunt, who like, he's played a couple hundred games and he's considered younger. He's around my age, I think. I mean, I guess he wouldn't technically count in this scenario, but a guy like Cole Schwint getting an opportunity, uh, that's always a good thing. The one thing I'll say this is this Dustin Wolf. That, I think, is the one prospect that I think a lot of fans thought would have a really good fighting chance at making the roster. And I still think if if it comes time for, for the team to say, you know what, we need Jacob Markstrom to have a bit of a break. Maybe Dan Vladar is kind of shaky here and there. I still think Dustin Wolf gets some games in this year. Depending on what happens with LTIR and some of the guys they put on there, they might have enough, they might have enough space. Uh, well, space, I'll use that term loosely, but they should be able to put up a salary like Dustin Wolf's up while they have those guys on LTIR at the same time. Do you want him sitting for a long period of time or do you want him playing? 
I, I wonder how much that plays into into that too. So I think for a lot of fans, it partially they'll be they'll, they should be happy about the fact that some of those young players like a Coronado, Pelte would have made the team if if he didn't get injured, and, and Adam Rosicka is still technically in that threshold too. Uh, there are some young guys on this team, and they didn't go into the bargain bin for older veterans who are going to block spaces for younger guys. But I can understand that there are a few fans who are looking at Dustin Wolf in the AHL, and they're saying, well, maybe this team didn't go far enough in terms of bringing up all the young players uh, to make this team go. You're listening to Sportsnet today with AZ and GVP. GVP. I, I love the ring of that. I oh, love 100%. the ring of that. Thank you again, Julian. Uh, you did bring it up there just... You did bring it up there just a little bit, just the the, the weakness they, this team has up the right-hand side. And uh, to me, I feel like one of the biggest things the Flames need to rectify or figure out within the first 10 games of this season is who's going to play on that right side with Huberto and Lindholm. From what you've seen in the preseason, who do you think should be the best fit for that for the first couple weeks? Is it Sharon Govich? Is it a guy like Majapani? Or is it even Matt Coronado? I think it'll be Manch. I think it'll be Andrew Manchapani to start. They gave Sharon Govich that chance to start at the beginning of preseason. He was getting all that time in the top line and on PP1. And from my understanding, just from looking at games and also from the way Ryan Husk was describing it, they need him to be a bit more firmer on pucks. And ultimately, they might see him now as a more middle six type of player. And I don't mind the third line placement of him alongside Michael Backlund and, and Matthew Coronado, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, so that opens up a spot for a guy like Andrew Bonchapani to play on that right side. He's played left and right before, and he's able to score goals. He's able to be that guy who, if you put the puck on a stick, he's able to score goals. We have seen it in the NHL in his career. So I, I think he'll start there. But I think if Matthew Coronado finds a way to be productive on that line and he'll get PP2 minutes, and if he finds a way to be productive there too, at some point, this team is going to have to try Lindholm, Huberto, and and Matthew Coronado on that right-hand side. I don't think we're that far off from Coronado getting a look on that top line. That all is going to yeah. depend on him. He's had a gr- He had a great preseason, but I, I don't think we're that far off, and I don't think it's that far-fetched to suggest that there is a day where the team's going to try Matthew Coronado on that top line. But Magipani should start. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I'm in the same boat with you there that, you know, styles kind of make lines. Huberto's a playmaker. Mangiapane's kind of that trigger man that can, you know, get in the corners and get into the slot and whatnot. But uh, another guy up uh, up along the boards for the Flames is Dylan Dubé. And it feels like every single season we're, we're coming into the season, like, can Dubé really elevate his, lane, ele- elevate his game and get into a, a top six role even? Do you feel like that's still a possibility for Dylan or is it just like he is what he is kind of right now? I like the fact that it seems like you could put Dylan Dubé almost anywhere in yeah. this lineup, really, because he's shown the ability to play center. He's shown the ability to play wing. He has uh, some quickness to his game. He might be the best skater, the fastest skater on this team, if you're really thinking about it. Uh, so I, I, I think the fact that they have a player like Dylan who's able to work hard, it's a bit of a luxury in a weird sense. I know he's not this high-end player necessarily, but he's a player who this team, I think, could bet is better is lucky to have, and 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 it's good that he's as flexible as he is. All that to say, him starting on a line with Nazem Kadri and, and Adam Rizicka, if that's what's going to be the case, as we've seen over these over the last little while, um, that's not a bad spot for him. Uh, I I remember last year when it was Andrew Mangiapane, Nazem Kadri, and Dylan Dubé. The first few games to start the year, remember when the Flames were really good? They had that best start to franchise history. Yeah, I still think that line was like the best line to start. Like Lindholm and Huberto were still trying to figure each other out uh, alongside Tyler Toffoli. I thought the way Nazem and, and Dubé were working together and, and Mangiapane too, just with the hustle that they were able to bring, I thought they worked out. So the idea that those two could be reunited on a line again, I think it's a good idea. The biggest question is if Adam Rizicka, if he can be consistent because he has the skill set that is so tantalizing for this Flames team, for this Flames team. They love what he brings in terms of his size and his skill. They just need to put it together on a consistent basis. And if he's able to do it with some high quality line mates in Dubé and Kadri, they're going to like what they see. But for Dylan Dubé, I don't think it's a problem with him playing in that top six, at least to start. I'm sure lines will change eventually. Maybe we eventually see that Manjapani, uh Kadri Dubé line once again. Maybe he falls down to a line with Michael Backlund. I mean, if you fall down a line with Michael Backlund, it's not the worst thing because yeah. he does so much as it is. Such an underrated center in the league, if you're really thinking about it. But no, I, I think it's totally possible we see Dylan Dubé as a top six as a top six winger uh, on this team. Again, especially when you look at that right wing, uh, which 
going into the year, you're looking at it and you're thinking, eh, I don't know, is Sharon Govich going to have to play on the right side? Coronado's your top option. I mean, Blake Coleman was playing left wing the other night, but yeah. right wing, that, that's who you really have. Like, I, I, I don't think it's that far fetched to put him in your top six. Yeah, you, you mentioned Kadri there as well. And a lot of the discourse around this Flames team this year has been on Jonathan Huberto and how he needs to be at least a point-per-game player. Uh, in my opinion, I think Kadri needs to have a bounce-back year as well. But what do you think his point spread should look like in order to really determine if it was a successful bounce-back year or not? I mean, one of my bold predictions for the year, I don't like doing bold predictions, but my bold prediction for this year is that Nassim Kadri will have a career season. This is a guy who had a long offseason this year, the longest he's had since like 2016. You guys remember last the, the year before when he won the cup with the Colorado Avalanche? I mean, the guy had a busted thumb. Uh, he wins the cup. He's probably, you know, partying and enjoying himself. He's trying to figure out his his, his future. If he's staying in Colorado, wherever else he's going to go, Remember, he brings the cup to the mosque. Like this is a guy who had such a long and busy offseason before joining the Calgary Flames and was still banged up. Yeah. And I still think that played a role in why he faded down the stretch in the second half of the year. There may be some other factors to it, but he was not 100%. But now some Kadri, as, as far as we've seen so far in preseason, he's looked good. He looks healthy. He's been healthy. He's, he's had that time to take care of some of those knickknacks that have hurt him over the last little while. And I really think, uh, look, Elias Lindholm's the number one center. They have all the talent around. But if I if you're going to put, you're going to say, hey, man, you got to do a bold prediction. I think Nassim Kadri is going to have that bounce back year. And I don't remember the amount of points he had last year. Remember, he was an all-star last year. But this is a guy, I think this is a guy who was able to get 70, 80. I mean, I'm trying to remember the exact point total that he had in his career season. But I think he's due. I think he might get that this year. That's my bold prediction. That's the one thing I'm willing to stamp my 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 name towards. Nassim Kadri is going to have the best point. He's going to lead the team in scoring this year. That's yeah. my bold prediction. Yeah, I don't think you're Put far off board. of that. I don't think you're far off of that uh, at all. His point spread for his career year was uh, 28 goals, 59 assists, 87 points. He went for 24, 32, and 56. If if I was going to have to back one bold prediction from what I've heard, I don't think you're far off at all with that, J Mac. No, man, I'm, I'm telling you, man. I, I really think. The, I really, especially him, I, he's going to benefit from having that long rest. And the vibes are, are seemingly different around this team now. A lot more smiles, a lot more happy vibes. The offense is a little bit more creative and free. And Nazem's still playing PP1. He's going to be in that bumper spot. Still playing top six minutes. Like, I, I think the pieces are there for him to have a really good season. Uh, speaking of uh, the defensive side there, uh, we obviously know Rasmus Sanderson, Mackenzie Weger are going to be pretty much your top pair. Uh, but Jaden, Jordan Orsley's really looked uh, like a decent piece there to fit on that third pairing now that Shillington uh, hasn't started with the team. Yeah, uh, I think uh, Jordan Osterley, especially when it comes to his offensive instincts, especially when the team is trying to break out or they're trying to create a play where you have that trailing defenseman coming in. And he's also a quick guy too. I think Jordan Osterley has filled that role pretty well. I haven't had the opportunity to see Oliver Shillington since I've, since I've come here to Calgary, but it seems as if he could, he would more or less fit what Oliver Shillington would be doing uh, if he were still able to be on the team right now. So I, I like Jordan Osterley as a, as a number six for this team. He was, he was likely going to be a number seven if Oliver Shillington was healthy. But you know, I, I, when I saw that Shillington wasn't going to be available for this team, I really thought, okay, what is this team going to have in Jordan Osterley? Can this team be comfortable with him as their number six. I think this Flames team can. A lot of comparison uh, in the preseason has been compared to when Calgary brought Troy Stetcher uh, from Arizona. Obviously may not have the same shot, but the comparison on skill-wise with speed and offensive-mindedness uh, is a, a comparison. Do you agree with that comparison? Um, He definitely has more size to Troy Stetcher. I think I can understand why in terms of the quickness, uh, the fact that they would both be bottom-pairing defensemen but I, I think Jordan Osterley's size kind of helps him a little bit more. Uh, that's 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 probably the biggest difference between the two. Again, I can understand why they make the comparison, but I, I, I think the size is obviously the biggest difference when it comes to comparing those two players. With Noah Hannafin, obviously, potentially with what he said when he was in, uh, you know, when he first came back to Calgary with his contract situation, do you think the the mindset of him is starting to turn that he may re resign with the Flames, or do you think the same thing uh, that he is going to finish out his contract uh, as a Calgary Flame and then move to the states or be traded to a team in the states? 
It's a great question. Uh, we have to see how the season plays out. I, I, I would. I'm inclined to think off of what he's been telling the media publicly that uh, the vibes are good for him, and I think he he seems to like what's what's happening with the organization and 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 some of the changes that have t- that have transpired to get them to the place that they're at right now. I think he likes it. I still think this team needs to be competitive and 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 maybe even go above certain expectations in order to keep Noah Hannafin in the fold, really. And I think that's what the, the Calgary Flames are banking on. They're hoping, especially in the yeah, especially with Noah Hannafin, they're hoping that this team has made enough strides to convince him to stay. But there's still a part of me that thinks that when it's all said and done, he might still want that contract closer to home, uh, playing in the states. It seems like that's what he wanted uh, off in the summer. But I, I, I could understand that he would want to wait and see and, and apply that approach before making a decision. But I, I'm willing to wait and see when it comes to Noah Hannafin. I'll say this. I think the Flames have done a good job in terms of changing that atmosphere to try to get some of those guys to, to, think, about, to think about their futures in this market and, and, and sort of getting them to change their minds. If some of those guys were leaning towards not going – I'm inclined to think, and I'm, I'm going to lump in Elias Lindholm into this too, even though it's been more about money. I'm inclined to think that the atmosphere has at least pushed those guys from the ledge of wanting to leave the team. Yeah, just building off of that, you mentioned Lindholm there. Uh, what What's the cutoff date for the Flames here? George mentioned potentially USA Thanksgiving as a, as a time marker to where the Flames might have to think of moving off of Li- uh, Elias Lindholm if he doesn't extend here. What in your... What is your gut telling you about like when's the cutoff date? When do the Flames management need to think about moving a guy like Lindholm if they have to? I find that so tough to put a date on that because yeah. so much of that has to do with team performance. Let's say this Flames team at U.S. Thanksgiving, which is also considered this unofficial marker for when t- or if teams could make the playoffs or not. If the Flames are in a playoff position and and not talking about like a wild card spot, like say like their second maybe third in their division, but probably second. And Elias Lindholm's having a good time. Do you trade him then? I don't think that's a good date. Like, I I, I, I don't think that if you're thinking of going that way, I don't know if you want to mess that up. I think you should get him signed as soon as possible, as far as I'm concerned. Don't make it as much of a distraction as it already has become. Um, whether if you're going to sign him, I, I mean, you're, you might as well do it. I, I think with Lindholm, though, if it seems like it's going to be above nine million, I know for me, I I have my hesitation with that. But the Flames also kind of have no choice because they signed Michael Backlund and they've already committed to being a team that's going to be competitive for the for the foreseeable future. So, if you let Lindholm go, then you need a contingency plan uh, at your number one center position. And guys, you look at the roster. Is there a number one center on this team? You, you want Nazem Kadri there? He could be that, maybe, but. You probably want a younger guy in that spot. So they kind of have no choice. They kind of have to sign him to maybe not exactly what he wants, but like it's going to be over 9 million at this point. It's the biggest reason why there's a holdup in the first place. Like if this was about a a guy wanting eight and a half million, we'd we'd have seen this contract done already. This has to be because Elias Lindholm wants nine plus. Yeah, uh, last one for me here. Uh, if all these guys like Huberto, Lindholm, Kadri, if they all have big, big time years this year, how big of a a reason would be Mark Savard for for that for that ha- happening? I guess. And what he brings. I would like to think it would it would I would like to think it would mean a lot. It would he would play a huge role. Uh, getting to talk to him these last few weeks, uh, just about the type of offense that he wants to put in uh, for this team and what he wants out of this roster. He believes in this roster. Like I I, I remember talking to him. And, and bringing up the fact that one major criticism with this team was that there are no game breakers. And, and Daryl Sutter brought that up a ton of times last year. Mark actually pushed back on that with me and said, no, there's a lot of talented players on this team. And he straight up said, like, with the, well, this is another interview that he had, uh, a, little, a little bit of more public scrum, myself and another reporter was there too. He straight up said, like, hey, with the personal that we have, we could have a top five power play in this league with the personal that we have. Mark Savard believes in this offense and he thinks if he puts those guys in the right places, he's able to get them to use their creative juices and use them to, to, to get some goals and get some production in. So if Huberto is back to his regular self, it seems like in terms of his personality anyway, he's getting closer to that. But if he's able to get, 
you know, even if it's just an 80 point season, as an example, way better than the 55 point season last year. That's a step in the right direction. Lift Lindholm has an improvement on his stats. Same deal. Nazem Kadri, Manjapani, all those guys in the top six. If Matthew Coronado has a good year and Matthew Coronado, I remember asking him about being in those power play meetings with Mark Savard. And he said, Mark has made it really easy for him to, 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 to understand those concepts and get a grasp of everything. If he has a good year, like it has, it has a lot to do with Mark Savard and what he's able to, to implement with the franchise. I think the fact that he wants his guys to play with more pace, he's not trying to have this regular dump and chase method. He's trying to have his guys to not hold on to the puck too long, find open spaces, uh, have all these creative plays. I, I feel like to this point, we have not seen the full playbook that Mark Savard has in terms of some of the, the more zany stuff that he has. But I, I think I'm inclined to think that some of the players are responding well to it. And I think in terms of that offense, if it gets off to a good start and it go and it continues to hum, he plays a huge role in, in, in putting it in that position. Last one here for you. With the waiver wire and the list coming out, it seems that Matthew Phillips has made the Washington Capitals opening day roster. Uh, are we potentially turning into another situation where uh, Flames could lose out on a player where it's another Martin St. Louis situation where he leaves the organization and succeeds elsewhere? We have to wait and see, I guess. Uh, uh, good for Matthew Phillips, by the way. I think it's really cool that he was able to to, to, to give himself an opportunity in Washington. Uh, there's a, there was a video going around in the last week where, I think it was before a game, you see Alexander Ovechkin calling Matthew Phillips the hottest guy in the league. And I think that's really cool that he's been able to make it work. He did not get a fair shot in Calgary. I think everyone knows that. Uh, you could look at his his size, and you could look at the fact that he get that, you know, in terms of his, how can I word this? I get the HL level was getting bumped by defensemen, right? Like, that's a strike against him. We could all admit that. But he still had all that goal-scoring ability. He still made it work in the HL. And the team still should have given him a proper chance, and they never did that. So I don't blame Matthew Phillips for wanting to go elsewhere to try to get himself a real shot at playing NHL minutes. And if it works out on that top line with him and Alexander Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom, I mean, at the very least, the team could say, hey, they they really should have put him in that situation. They really should have put him in a situation in the NHL, to be honest with you. Let's let's pump the brakes on Marte San Louis. Let's let's see him play a couple years. Let's see him uh, you know, win some individual accolades, what a Stanley Cup before we start using that name around. I can understand why some fans would feel that way. But I think if Matthew Phillips, because it looks like he's going to start on the on the Capitals roster, if he's able to make that work for him, he's able to get some production going. Good for him. That's a good story for him. I, I think it'll be great for for his career if he's able to make it stick there. We're in conversation with Julian McKenzie, Flames writer for The Athletic. Julian, great stuff today. Thank you for your time. And I'm sure we'll uh, we'll do this again soon. Let me know, guys. Uh, great talking to you, GVP, AZ and Killicam. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot, Julian. There he goes on. Uh, the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. And uh, just like that, we're out of time. Boom, that's a show. Sportsnet today. First one first one for, for me and you in the books. But we'll, we're on the air tomorrow as well. Yeah, tomorrow's going to be another uh, another segment there. So it's going to be another good two hours. Uh, some holiday fun, some Thanksgiving yeah. fun. Uh, and we'll have a great show before uh, we fill ourselves with some turkey. Yeah, thanks to everyone who listened. Thank you to our guests, Derek Van Dees, Kevin Woodley, and Julian McKenzie, who you just heard. A reminder, if you missed any of those discussions, you can find them on our podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else. You may stream full episodes of Sportsnet Today or any of the shows across our network. Uh, Coming up on the station, playoff baseball is next. Texas Rangers, Baltimore Orioles, ALDS, Game 1. That's next right here on Sportsnet 960. Game 2. Game, sorry. That's next, Sportsnet 960 fan.